The following podcast contains advertising. To access an ad-free version of the Lawfare podcast, become a material supporter of Lawfare at patreon.com lawfare. That's patreon.com lawfare. Also, check out Lawfare's other podcast offerings, Rational Security, Chatter, Lawfare No Bull, and The Aftermath. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Former President Trump, he is really distinguishable because of the obstruction factor, as far as we know. Again, maybe something more will come out. But right now, he's the only one who appears to have quite willfully and seemingly quite deliberately, or at least the staff around him, although it seems like he was personally involved as well, in deliberately trying to withhold these documents and even lying about it to the Justice Department. Those are the things that, again, really problematic. I think that people understand are problematic and that are ultimately going to be bite him. And it makes it easier to focus on those if the broader problems about classified information are much more systemic. I'm Quinta Dresick, Senior Editor at Lawfare. And this is the Lawfare Podcast, January 31st, 2023. It seems like everyone has classified documents stashed away these days. First, it was Donald Trump, with the Justice Department investigation into documents stored improperly at Mar-a-Lago. Then it was Joe Biden, with news that documents bearing classification markings were found at Biden's Wilmington home and at the Penn-Biden Center. And now, former President Mike Pence has also uncovered classified materials at his home. What on earth is going on? I sat down with Lawfare Editor-in-Chief Benjamin Wittes, publisher David Priest, and Senior Editor Scott Anderson to discuss... We talked about why classified documents are suddenly showing up everywhere, how to understand the differences between the Trump, Biden, and Pence cases, and what to make of the pickle that Attorney General Merrick Garland now finds himself in. Before we begin, I want to give a quick apology for some technical difficulties we had during this conversation. David unfortunately had to drop out partway through, but we were able to loop him back in for the last question. Sorry about that. It's the Lawfare Podcast. January 31st. Even more classified documents. This story about misplaced classified documents uh, seems to be here to stay. Uh, So when you all last convened on the podcast, Attorney General Merrick Garland had just named uh, Robert Hur as a special counsel to investigate documents with classification markings found at President Biden's Wilmington residence in the Penn-Biden Center. This, of course, was after Garland had appointed a previous special counsel, Jack Smith, to look into the classified documents held improperly at Mar-a-Lago, along with Trump's role in January 6th. Setting aside the January 6th issue and focusing just on the documents with classification markings, uh, things have continued to develop. Ben, would you be able to just give us an overview of what's happened in this space over the last couple of weeks? So the first thing, uh, these are not in sequence, but 
The first thing that happened was that there were uh, was a Justice Department search of President Biden's residence, which took place over 13 hours. So it was a very thorough search. It was done on a consensual basis. The second thing that happened was that there were more classified documents found in former facilities. This time, the uh, perp was Mike Pence, the former vice president. And the third thing was that in response to uh, these events, the National Archive wrote to all former presidents uh, asking them to just take a look and make sure that they didn't also have classified material. So I think the basic way to understand what's happened is that the story has metastasized a bit, affected more different people in more different ways. I want to just dwell for a moment on the fact that uh, classified documents, which are supposed to be uh, handled with great care and not strewn everywhere, just seem to be falling out of people's cabinets, stuffed in between the couch cushions, hidden under the bed. David, what do we make of the fact that there are apparently classified documents just scattered around all of these presidential residences? Look, it's it's uh, it's odd. It's not odd to me that the former presidential papers would have mixed documents of classified and unclassified. That's that's not weird. That's the nature of government. And that's what the National Archives processes for years and years after a president leaves office. That's done both in Washington and at the presidential library sites in many cases where researchers can prompt declassification requests, uh, seek to look at classified materials, uh, and then they go through a process which in some cases takes many, many years, I have learned far too often. Um, So there is a process for doing that. The the odd thing, of course, is that being in the personal possession of the president uh, or in in the personal spaces of the president, be that a private office or a resident, that's, that's not supposed to happen. As a former president, you're supposed to only have a few avenues toward classified information. One of them is with the approval of the current president, You can go to a government facility and have access to classified information. That could be going to a government facility, such as an FBI field office near your new residence, or it can be going to DC and getting briefed by a government agency or department. Or you could be like former President George H.W. Bush, who sat in on intelligence briefings with his son at the White House when his son was president. You could have briefings come to you and you could have the intelligence community or presumably others with access to classified information, bring classified information to you and brief you on them. Maybe they would show you documents. Maybe they would just talk. I know this because I did it as a CIA officer. I went and briefed former president uh, Bush 41 when he was a former president, did not leave any documents with him, simply talked to him about the subject we were briefing on. And then of course, a president could you know, have them in his in his files because they became intermingled with what the president thought was personal property. Now, the funny thing is this is only a matter for presidents from Ronald Reagan forward because the Presidential Records Act, I believe, signed in 1978, but did not apply to the current president at the time, Jimmy Carter. Uh, and that is why the National Archives has sent, I believe, an email 
to the former president's offices from Reagan forward, asking them to please look through all the materials to confirm that they didn't accidentally get any classified material or other presidential materials intermingled with the personal material. So that's the general overview of the way we look at the classified information and former presidents. Yeah, I would just like to add to that, that I do think, you know, there's there's a lot of clucking in, you know, of, of which the way, Quinta, you formulated the question is an example, you know, we're not, we're not supposed to have this information, but it's dripping out of everybody's pockets. And I, I do think in defense of everybody caught up in this thing, including Trump, by the way, I think it is worth saying that when you live in a government facility that is also your office, and when you are, and that's true of presidents and vice presidents, and that your home is effectively cleared for classified material, the possibility of intermingling is just very different than it is, say, for the congressional people who are doing this clucking. They have to go into a skiff in order to see classified material. Uh, the president lives in a skiff, and the president, their personal papers, their desk is in a skiff. Uh, although the White House residents, to be clear, the White House West Wing office side is is protected. The residence is not, which is why Trump's going into, you know, saying he, you know, takes the stuff to the residence is a little bit problematic. But just the possibilities of intermingling are just dramatically higher when you're dealing with executive branch officials at that level. And so I I, I actually think it's worth being a little bit forgiving of the initial retention, at least if we learn that it was unintentional. So Scott, does this make Trump's conduct look better by comparison? His defense was always this sort of, well, you know, everybody does this. I'm just being persecuted for it because it's a witch hunt and they're out to get me. Now we found that not one, but two uh, former presidents and vice presidents are in a kind of similar situation. Is this exonerating for him, for Trump in any way? I don't really think so, but it certainly fits into a narrative that people are going to use to justify his conduct or make it look less severe. The thing to really bear in mind that makes the Trump case different from the Pence and the Biden cases, as far as we know so far, although the facts could change because we don't have a full picture of really any of the investigations yet, and certainly the Biden and Pence situations are still developing. But from what we can tell, the Trump, former President Trump and his group of advisors, his post-presidency advisors at Mar-a-Lago and other residencies around the country, were engaged in a year-long conversation with the National Archives about returning a variety of documents that became uh, almost a year-long conversation with the Justice Department about classified documents believed to be included in those. And after getting fairly specific requests for the return of those documents, after you know seeing a subpoena over them, and ultimately, of course, a search warrant being issued for the search at Mar-a-Lago, resisted returning them and actually provided a note that, at least according to reporting, suggests that you know a some advisors close to former President Trump, if not former President Trump himself, certified that they'd handed back all the classified documents, and then the FBI searched Mar-a-Lago and found a substantial number more, a volume more. That's really what makes that difference. In the Pence case, in the Biden case, so far, 
what we're being told, and we haven't seen any information to contradict this, is that these were inadvertent errors. Yeah, it doesn't mean they're not embarrassing. It doesn't mean they're not a problem. There isn't problematic conduct. But it does still make the Trump case very distinguishable. And the legal jeopardy that former President Trump and those around him, or those around him, I should say, may face if they were deliberately deceiving or knowingly deceiving the FBI or the National Archives and withholding these documents is that that's where criminal liability really comes in. You know, there are consequences that come up to an inadvertently holding classified documents, career consequences, there can be legal consequences for people, but it's the intent to deliberately withhold them and knowingly withhold them. That really is where significant legal consequences begin to kick in. And that's still unique to the Trump case as far as we know at this point. So that was my next question. The Pence team uh, has certainly made a a big deal of being transparent. We discovered that uh, these documents were found in Pence's residence because his counsel, Greg Jacob, who listeners might remember from the January 6th hearings, um, announced it in a letter to the National Archives that they'd carried out a proactive search after all of this news about classified documents uh, had, had come out and had discovered these materials. The White House has also said that Biden is cooperating. The search of of Biden's house was done on the invitation of the president's lawyers, which distinguishes it from the uh, search at at Mar-a-Lago. So my question to all of you is, is there any indication that Pence and Biden are, or the people around them, are engaging in conduct that could come close to the sort of obstruction that we've seen from Trump? Or is this really an an apples and oranges situation? David, let me go to you first. We would need to see something different than what we've seen already in the reporting. That is, if the reporting coming out were to say that, in fact, the archivists had pointed out to either Pence or Biden or to staff around Pence or Biden, that these were clearly presidential materials and the outgoing president or vice president or the staff around them said, too bad, we disagree, we're taking them anyway, then that could change things. But based on what we've seen so far, I don't think we have anything other than embarrassment and cooperation, which is not a good political look, but it's probably a pretty good legal look, given that it's the archives that is supposed to look at this material and go through it before the departure from Washington. The problem, of course, is that the National Archives is horrifically and perennially underfunded and understaffed. And just recently at an event at the Lyndon Johnson Library, Tim Naftali, who used to run the Richard Nixon Library and understands a lot of archive dynamics, pointed out that the National Archives and Records Administration has neither the staff nor the time at the end of a presidency during the transition, nor any real authority to check all of the boxes deemed presidential or vice presidential versus personal. So that's that's a separate issue that probably governs whatever we should do about it in the future. And Scott, do we know anything about what kinds of documents were found uh, when it comes to Biden and, and Pence, when it comes to Trump, we know there was a, some reporting about what the materials were. A lot of them seemed to be highly sensitive. We know some of them had to do with nuclear programs, you know, material that you really don't want getting out there. Do we know if the material that was found in the, the Pence and Biden residencies is kind of along those lines? Or is it more, you know, 
oh, remember not to mention this to such and such ambassador? We don't have any information about what the content of the information is recovered from the Biden home, from the Penn Biden Center, or from Pence's custody is at this stage, at least certainly that that I'm aware of. Um, and this has actually been a point of contention with folks on the Hill. We've seen committee leaders, bipartisan, it's worth noting Marco Rubio and Mark Warner both kind of saying things in this direction on the Senate intelligence side, saying that we think we actually need to see these documents or know, or at least know more about what they are to understand what's happening here and to exercise oversight in the Senate Intelligence Committee context. I think they're really more specifically talking about oversight of handling classified information. They said, we're not worried about criminal investigations. That's fine. Um, we understand you don't want to share information on those. And DOJ has already pushed back pretty strong against efforts by the House Judiciary Committee, uh, chaired, of course, by Representative Jim Jordan, to ask for information on those investigations. DOJ has rebuffed those. But we did see ODNI, Avril Haynes, come in, give a briefing to uh, the Senate staff, perhaps the House staff as well, I don't recall. But coming out of that, people were very frustrated on the Hill that they weren't given more information about what these documents look like. The one thing I do think we know, uh, although it's a, it's a little bit of inference, so there may be some gray area here, is, is it just about the volume. We know a substantial number of documents were recovered from Mar-a-Lago, whereas by contrast, my understanding and my recollection from media reporting is that it's about you know, a dozen to a dozen and a half documents in the Biden case between the documents recovered from the Penn Biden Center, from his garage, I think it was six additional documents from his garage, and there were, I think, one to three additional documents recovered from his residence after the fact. In the Pence case, it was similarly described as kind of a handful of documents. I don't think we have a concrete number. And who knows what this means? Like maybe one of those documents is a 140-page Redwell, and so that's actually really substantial. But it sounds like they're kind of scattered handful of pages, whereas there was a substantial density of records recovered from the Mar-a-Lago estate. Um, remember, we had a came out of the litigation that kind of registered the FBI produced of all the different documents they recovered, um, which included several dozen labeled classified to various regards. And we know that also included high levels of classification, specific designations for specific programs, things like that. We don't know any of that for the Pence-Biden case. We just know it is a number of fewer documents, at least so far. One of the other things that's interesting here, and that I think we don't quite know the answer to, is we know in the Biden and Pence case that there is no indication that the documents were willfully taken, although we might develop that information. It seems like they were found surprised people years later, or in Pence's case, a couple years later. In the Trump case, there's some indication that the material was taken a little bit more willfully, although that remains a matter that the investigation will have to establish. When Trump was asked to give them back, he is reported to have insisted to a bunch of staff, they're mine, and people have described some of them as kind of memorabilia trophies, like, for example, the letters to and from uh, Kim Jong-un. And there is an implication in some of that reporting that this stuff was not simply boxed up by staff and taken, but more deliberately uh, retained by Trump, which would be a difference uh, as well. Uh, I want to be careful with that because I don't think we're in a position yet to say either that 
Pence or Biden didn't retain them willfully or that Trump did. But I do think some of the reporting has kind of intimated that. So let's talk about what this means for the Justice Department, for Merrick Garland. Of course, Garland appointed a special counsel in the Biden case, sort of as a a mirror to the special counsel in the Trump case. Do we now need another special counsel? Scott, what do you think? Well, the attorney general has put himself in a little bit of a difficult position, maybe less so now, but uh, certainly if Mike Pence were to declare for the presidency, which is something is that is definitely a possibility. We know his people have been talking about. Um, really, you know, the attorney general said we can handle this in-house when it came to former President Trump. But when he declared, made the determination, all right, this is the point where we're going to appoint a special counsel, which he did within, you know, a matter of days. The current sitting president, I think, is another issue. There are independent logic supporting the idea of putting that a special counsel there for a variety of reasons. Um, and so, you know, that was kind of a different situation. But because of the mandate of the two, you know, if there were to be a need for additional independent investigation, if Pence were to declare his candidacy, the precedent's already there to say Trump deserved a special counsel and some additional independence. So why wouldn't you extend that to Pence if it's a smaller matter? Maybe you could adjust the scope of the investigations, but then because there are only going to be declared candidates, not incumbent candidates on the Republican side, not the Democratic side, it ends up looking like you have a partisan split in the special counsel appointments, which is extremely awkward, even that that's not why, uh, just this bad optics. So, you know, that really puts him in a quandary where you don't want to have too many special counsels floating around. It seems to get really inefficient and a source of chaos, but that's kind of the precedent he's set. Now, is anybody other future candidates likely to be in a position like this in this sort of scenario? I don't think so, but we don't 100% know, I suppose. So it's at least a little bit of a tricky position for these three individuals who have already found themselves in possessing these documents, particularly if Pence declares that he is a candidate. One element of that, or maybe two elements of that, when Garland went ahead and appointed Mr. Herr as special counsel, he did so only after a Justice Department internal initial inquiry had determined that the matter required further investigation. And so one can expect he will follow a similar methodology here. That is, you see if the investigation can be disposed of at the initial inquiry stage. That is, no reasonable prosecutor would go forward with this. Therefore, you don't need to appoint anybody. And then in the Trump case, he appointed that the trigger for his appointment of the special counsel, uh, this is Mr. Smith now, was only when Trump declared for president. And so I think you can expect him to respect both of the two precedents that he he set. That is, he will only go forward with the appointment of a special counsel if two conditions are met. First, if the Justice Department in an initial inquiry finds that further investigation is warranted, and second, if Pence is a declared candidate for president, because we We know that Garland was willing to have the Justice Department investigate Trump without a special counsel until he became a declared candidate. Only then did he go ahead. So I think Pence may, for either of those reasons, at least for a while, escape 
the appointment of a special counsel. The second issue is that if you're Garland now and you have a second Republican candidate who requires a special counsel investigation, you do have an option that you didn't have earlier, which is to assign it to one of the existing special counsels. Now, this is something that Janet Reno did a lot with Ken Starr. You know, something would come up and you would just kick it to Ken Starr. She lived to regret that. And so I think you will have Garland, who was in the department at the time uh, in a senior position, uh, will be very aware of both the pros and cons of not proliferating special counsels on the one hand, but also not assigning a special counsel who's kind of got multiple jurisdictions going at the same time. If you went that way, that is to assign it to one of the existing ones, you'd have to ask which one is the right one. Do you assign it to Jack Smith? Because he's the guy who's investigating people who were running against Joe Biden? Or do you assign it to Mr. Herr on the theory that he's the one who's investigating uh, the less complicated uh, ones that don't involve, you know, significant obstruction elements? They're just more routine mishandling matters. So you can argue it 10 ways from Sunday, I think, and it's going to end up being a difficult and complicated question. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yeah, so let's talk about the the difficult and complicated questions here. Jack Goldsmith um, of of Lawfare, as as well as of many other places, had a op ed in the New York Times, basically arguing that rather than the special counsel set up giving Garland more cover and making things easier for him and deciding whether and how to prosecute these cases, it may actually make things more complicated. Ben, can you walk us through what Jack's reasoning was there and maybe extend it to where things stand now that Pence is also in the mix? So first of all, we don't yet know if Pence is in the special counsel mix, but uh, Jack's argument with which I basically, I think, disagree is that having two special counsels is a problem because you're, they're both guaranteed significant independence and they may go different directions. One may be more aggressive than the other. And so you may end up with a situation where it's very hard to reconcile their actions with each other. I think there is actually a mechanism that 
potentially resolves this, which uh, Jack does mention, which is that both are required to write final reports. And so, you know, one issue is who goes first. If if Mr. Herr goes first, then Mr. Smith in his final report will have to explain why his case is different from the one that her brought and therefore is handling it differently and vice versa. But I do think these uh, mechanisms give an opportunity for a reconciliation if anybody cares to read the reports, which people won't, by the way. And this is where Jack may really have a point. The politics, it may be that, you know, 50 Washington lawyers read the reports carefully and say, okay, yeah, it's, it makes sense to prosecute one, but not the other. But the partisans of whichever side is on the losing end of that stick will not have that degree of sophistication about it. So from a totally crass political standpoint, setting aside, you know, what the law is, setting aside what the right thing to do is from the Justice Department's point of view, the Pence discovery seems to me to be potentially quite good for Biden and bad for Trump. Um, the last time that you all had this conversation, you were talking uh, with Paul Rosenzweig about, you know, whether futures in Mar-a-Lago prosecutions had gone up or down. It seems to me that now that, that there are classified documents from Pence that are also under consideration here, though perhaps not by a special counsel, it seems less partisan to say prosecute Trump and those around him for obstruction because you have both a Democrat and a Republican, Biden and Pence, who would not be prosecuted because they handled these documents responsibly and didn't obstruct investigation into them. Again, to be clear, this is all hypothetical. Um, and that Pence's conduct, you know, sort of handling the discovery preemptively, uh, passing them to the archives makes it clearer that Trump is kind of an outlier here. So I'm I'm curious if that sounds right to you from a totally again cold-blooded calculating perspective. Scott, let me go to you first. So the Pence revelation definitely paints things in a different picture, right? Before you had the Pence revelation, it was much easier to write a political narrative that said, "Well, look at Biden. Biden has spent the last 6 months or as attorney general has spent the last 6 months uh, prosecuting and investigating former president Trump." for a crime that it looks like he was just as guilty as, uh, meaning withholding these classified documents. Again, I think there are reasons why that narrative, even on its face, was pretty misplaced. We talked about that in the last podcast you recorded on this before the Pence revelation. Um, but the Pence revelation really pushes things in a different light because it underscores the fact now that this is a systematic problem and systemic problem among former inhabitants of the White House and, and other senior administration officials. Um, the same is true of the NARA you know, statements urging recent, not even that recent, the last several decades worth of presidents and vice presidents and senior officials to search their records to make sure nothing like this happened in other cases. And it seems quite possible, if not likely, that it did. There might be other returns there. That doesn't excuse what former President Biden did. Um, I think it makes it still a problem and a reasonable one that that people should, you know, spend some time thinking you, about. You mean Trump there? No, no, Biden. Okay. Uh, you know, that, you know, not being aware that you had all these documents, that some of them were classified, like, that's a problem. Maybe it's a problem that's not entirely fall on President Biden's shoulders. Maybe it's about the staff around him. Maybe it's about our broader processes and what's expected. But it is, you know, I think there's a criticism to be made that, uh, you know, you 
should expect current presidents and former officials, former vice presidents to handle documents more carefully than this. That said, doesn't look like President Biden was alone in that regard. And again, former President Trump, he is really distinguishable because of the obstruction factor, as far as we know. Again, maybe something more will come out. But right now, he's the only one who appears to have quite willfully and seemingly quite deliberately, or at least the staff around him, although it seems like he was personally involved as well, in deliberately trying to withhold these documents and even lying about it to the Justice Department. Those are the things that, again, really problematic. I think that people understand are problematic and that are ultimately going to be bite him. And it makes it easier to focus on those if the broader problems about classified information are much more systemic. Yeah, just I agree with that completely. Nobody is going to be prosecuted for mishandling classified information without more. But that was always true. If that weren't true, Hillary Clinton would have been prosecuted, right? And there was never a chance that Donald Trump was going to be prosecuted merely for mishandling classified information. The relevant question is, in all three of these cases, is what more is there? In Trump's case, there is one big thing more, which is the obstruction. And there are also singular questions about whether there was willfulness in the retention of the material. In the case of both Biden and Pence, there is not a lot of evidence at all that there's anything more than some mishandling of material. That, as Jim Comey explained in the declination uh, speech regarding Hillary Clinton, is not something that generates prosecution. In fact, I don't know of a single exception to that rule, by the way. Comey identified four general aggravating factors that cause these mishandling cases, retention cases, to end up in the criminal arena. I haven't seen a shred of evidence that any of them is present in the case of Mike Pence or Joe Biden. And do we have a sense of how this is affecting Biden's political standing? Obviously, there's a question of Trump and Pence as well, but I think that's a little less relevant, both because Trump's support is more baked in and Pence is just not as prominent a figure. Scott, there's been some recent polling. I'm curious what you made of it. Yeah, we saw a number of polls kind of come in over the weekend that covered, you know, the last two weeks in which these different scandals, if you want to call them scandals, have really come to the fore uh, in different phases. And they're kind of interesting. And they're being covered in a little bit contradictory fashion. We have a set of polls, the ones I'm most familiar with are from CBS, that actually makes the point that there doesn't look like there's been a big slide in Biden's approval numbers, um, even though the story's now been out for a couple of weeks, that people are concerned and think this is a matter that should be investigated by the Justice Department and others. But most people seem to think that Biden is cooperating with the FBI. And specifically, many more people seem to think Biden is cooperating with the FBI than former President Trump cooperated with the FBI and appropriate authorities. And, you know, that kind of treads a narrative. We saw another set of polls from NBC where they made the point, in a slightly more critical fashion, saying, well, lots of people are are as concerned about this revelation, the Biden story, as the Trump story, and as focused on that, and that the both need to be investigated. But all those things can be true, you know, and actually, in some ways, is kind of what you would hope for and expect. It's that anytime classified information is out in the wild, 
the way it's not supposed to be, that is a source of concern. You would want the appropriate authorities to look at that. But, you know, I think the real difference maker, certainly for criminal liability, and I would argue for a lot of policy responsibility, not all of it, because there are certainly reasonable criticisms to be made, but for a big part of it is that willful factor, is that willingness to work with the authorities, work with investigators to try and address it. And maybe that's why we haven't seen a, a major decline, at least by some accounts, in approval rating. There are other polls that suggest there has has been, you know, a bit of a drop certain places. I, I saw a YouGov poll that said something to that effect. And in some ways, we're going to have to wait and see kind of what comes out over the weeks to come to see really what the impact is. Um, and it'll be hard to disaggregate it from other factors as well. But, you know, I think you would expect maybe Biden to take a bit of a hit on this. But I think maybe the the broader takeaway to me is that there's a political narrative to be built here that isn't necessarily as damaging, certainly if Biden and Trump are up against each other, uh, as opposed to a candidate who who might not have these sorts of problematic cases and baggage weighing them down. Just a, a slight counter argument. Uh, if you look at the 538 average of Biden popularity polls, there is about a point and a half percent drop. Biden had been on a pretty steady uptick since the summer when his uh, average approval rating kind of bottomed out in the uh, 38% range. And, you know, when this broke, he was right around 44. He's now down to about 42. So I, I, I think you can now to how much of that you should attribute to this. I really don't know. But I do think, you know, to the extent that Biden positions himself with some justice as the straight arrow anti-Trump, uh, stories that show him, even in a, the most facile way, behaving in a way that we associate with Trump. And this is quite facile, but it, it does do that on the surface, I think are kind of damaging to him. I don't think this is the sort of thing that will produce a, you know, bottoming out of his support by any means. But I do think there's some reason to think that the classified document stories have hurt him a bit. Let's talk about the congressional oversight angle of this. We now have a Republican House of Representatives. We know that Republicans are raring to go um, in terms of investigating the White House and the administration. And we've had plenty of noise along those lines, I think some more serious and some less serious. So the Justice Department uh, recently sent a letter to Jim Jordan of the Judiciary Committee, uh, essentially saying, we saw that you requested all these documents. Unfortunately, we can't give you this information because we're in the middle of an ongoing investigation. On the other hand, uh, there's also been reporting that the Justice Department is uh, actively working, I think was the phrase, to brief senators um, on what's going on with these investigations. So I'm curious what you make about these investigations and in Congress. Scott, let me go to you first. So I think the most substantive actions we've seen so far have really been around this issue of handling classified intelligence information. Um, We've seen um, both the chair and the ranking member of the Senate Intelligence Committee 
make coordinated statements underscoring both that they need to exercise more effective oversight in these particular matters, as I mentioned earlier, including a better understanding of what's in the underlying documents. It's worth noting. But also have both said, look, this is a failure of our intelligence processes and systems, and we need to take steps to look at that, understand what happened, and improve them at the White House or wherever else that these problems might have originated so that we can have better handling of classified information. And that's pretty notable. Uh, you know, I, I, there is kind of a fairly effective working relationship. Uh, Senator Mark Warner uh, was the chair of the Intelligence Committee, has, has had a pretty good relationship with his last two Republican ranking members, Marco Rubio being the most recent one. Uh, and they seem to ha- be kind of at least coordinating on talking points about how to handle that element of the story, which is interesting. On the House side, you've seen the House Oversight Committee chairman, James Comer, come out and say something similar to the effect of saying, well, we should look at this and I want to get the ranking member, the Democrat, uh, Jamie Raskin, I believe, is, is is now the ranking member on that committee um, to work with me on this. That looks good and sounds a lot like kind of the similar statements come from the Senate side, but it's been paired with a lot of other strange inquiries. Um, particularly Comer has made a lot of statements drawing suggestions of innuendo um, about the Penn Biden Center uh, and has written to the University of Pennsylvania, where it is housed institutionally, to ask for money about the center and particularly how it was funded um, and has suggested that there was some reporting um, in the media about a spike in certain unspecified Chinese donors around the time the center had started and that he's connected this in public statements. Um, you know, maybe there's a there there. Maybe there's not. I, I, I don't know. But um, that sort of speculation obviously is politically loaded and a little disappointing and, and underscores the extent to which this really will be a political football. We've also seen several other officials come forward and say, oh, well, we also need to check about Hunter Biden's involvement in this, trying to integrate this story with a broader narrative that paints the Biden family as somehow corrupt or using government resources and information for its own purposes. That's going to just be part of the story. And and Congress and members of Congress are going to play a central role in weaving that as we kind of come to expect, sadly, uh, in these sorts of scenarios. But there are points where people seem to be taking aspects of this more seriously. And particularly when you talk about reforming classified information and how to handle it outside of a criminal law context, uh, and particularly when when it seems to have affected senior members of both parties, and it's something both parties agree is actually a problem, this could be the sort of issues that we actually could see Congress do something over the next year or two and, and, and hash it out. It's technical, it's nonpartisan, doesn't provide a clear political advantage, and it can be pretty isolated. So, so you know, from other political issues, hopefully. That might change if, you know, if prosecution does go forward to former President Trump or people around him that politically charges it, but it doesn't have to go that direction. And perhaps it could even be insulated from those sorts of effects. So there's at least early signs that there might be enough people on both sides of the aisle interested in doing something productive here to address the underlying systemic problems behind some of this. And that's, that's, you know, encouraging at least. Count me very skeptical. I look at this and say, you know, this is an area where Democrats smelled blood in the water prior to the Biden revelations, and almost certainly rightly so. Uh, But Congress didn't need to get involved, of course, because the Justice Department was investigating it. And by the time anybody realized it was happening, was sufficiently far along that it could execute a search warrant at Mar-a-Lago. The moment Biden has this problem, Republicans smell blood in the water 
on their own, and they can't rely on the Justice Department for two reasons. One is that in no sense do they control it or do they have confidence in the people who do, and more importantly, that they, like we, suspect that the facts maybe aren't bad enough that the Justice Department would actually do anything. And so what can you do to hasten this along and make it as bad as and as painful as possible for Biden? You can get Congress involved. And so they will do that. And they will do it in a fashion that is as focused on Biden as humanly possible. That's why Comer is bringing in the Hunter Biden stuff and why uh, the Penn Biden financing is you know, even responsible uh, members are mentioning it on the Sunday talk shows. I agree that there are actually institutional issues to address here and that they are interesting and they are the sort of things that we might hope you could focus on. I just don't believe that that's likely to be what happens, especially because the new Republican majority in the House. And to be clear, this is going to be a House problem, not a Senate problem. The new Republican majority in the House has a inability to pass legislation. And so its major weapon is going to be investigative. And so that is, I think, why uh, the pressure to reveal the documents that are subject of active criminal investigation in both the Trump and Biden cases is now leading Tom Cotton to refuse to allow anybody to be confirmed, right? This is the tool and it is replaced a whole lot of other things. You don't hear that much about Hunter Biden's laptop anymore. And so I think once you've invested a lot in it, you you can't then go back to, well, let's work on some responsible institutional legislation. So I hope very much that Congress uh, listens to the sage counsel of Scott R. Anderson, but I fear that this is one where the better angels of their nature will get stomped on uh, like a cockroach. So yes, there is some reform that needs to happen. Frankly, it involves boosting up the funding and staffing for the National Archives because this isn't something that the staff of the president or vice president is inherently equipped to do. You need an archivist who understands the difference between presidential records and other materials. But Comer goes on to say something that I think is quite wrong. He says, there's no hurry on this right now. This just needs to happen prior to this administration going out of office and the next administration coming in. Well, that could be as soon as, what, 21, 22 months? That could be, possibly, uh, that could be very soon. And that may seem like a lot of time. But we're talking about hiring archivists, uh, which is not an immediate thing. That is not a skill set that there are millions of people out there who are trained archivists at this level. And then getting them up to speed on issues having to do with this. So that means mentoring and all kinds of things. The time to do that isn't a few months before a transition. There wouldn't be enough time. The time to do that is to actually get on it now and pass a bill supporting a massive increase in funding for archivists devoted to the issue, not only of processing materials between 
turnovers, but during a turnover of being focused on helping presidents and vice presidents with determining what is a presidential record. All right, let's leave it there. Thank you all for joining. The Lawfare Podcast is produced in cooperation with the Brookings Institution. You can get ad-free versions of this and other Lawfare podcasts by becoming a Lawfare Materials supporter at patreon.com backslash lawfare, where you'll also get access to special events and other content available only to our supporters. This podcast was edited by Jen Pacha Howell. And your audio engineer this episode was Kara Schillen of Goat Rodeo. Our music is performed by Sophia Yan. As always, thanks for listening. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.